Uh, thank you, thank you. It, it, following Tony is, uh, uh, I almost ran for cover. We're old friends and she's so, uh, I'm in awe of her. I, I wanted to start with something, hopefully, that maybe no one else has addressed, and if they have, don't tell me. And, and that is luck. How much does luck factor in your achieving the life you want? Uh, I think enormously, and I think it has to be acknowledged by those of us who've been lucky enough to have the lives we have. But you have to redefine luck very carefully, because luck can be that you knew what you wanted to do when you were eight years old, and I'm one of those people. Somebody took me to a theater, I saw Orson Welles in a modern dress, Julius Caesar with the Mercury Theater. Why your parents take an eight-year-old to that, I'm not sure, <laughs> but I will always be grateful. That's luck. So luck is knowing what you want to do with what it is you have. Bad luck is luck, really luck. Uh, and that no one ever puts into the definition of luck. But I was a very solitary kid. I was a privileged kid from an upper middle class family. As you know, they took me to inappropriate plays at eight and, con and, and continued. They took me to see The Life of Oscar Wilde at nine uh, uh, with Robert Morley. Figure that. Uh, but in addition, I, I was very solitary. Knowing what I wanted to do very early on, I had a stage and I would listen to the uh, Met Opera on Saturday afternoons and Milton Cross would tell the story of the opera and then he would say the great gold curtain is rising on and I would have heard the story of the first act and then I would have set the stage and then I would start to move my people around uh, in accordance with the story he told. But of course I didn't speak the language they were singing. So more often than not, uh, I was finished with the first act and they were still singing. Or the great curtain fell and I was about a third through the story that he had told. But I, you know, so the fixation was, was part of it. But also part of it was psychological. I was a loner by choice, I think. I perhaps have dramatized that a little. Certainly my, my wife and my mother, who's no longer here, would say, I think he's making much more out of that than he should have. But um, I, the truth is, I did. I enjoyed the company of fantasies and fantasy people far more than real people. I enjoyed my life in the theater as I constructed it from the age of about 12 on, and all the people I knew who I didn't know, but who 20 years later, I, or 10 years later, I actually got to know and work with. And at one point, and, and this, uh, this I said on a 60-minute interview some years ago, and, 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 uh, and so, you know, I put it out there, I, I had a nervous breakdown when I was um, about 14, and it was over a very torpid summer uh, uh, in New York, blisteringly hot, and uh, there were no air conditioning, and uh, I just was kind of silent and uh, hard to reach, and I went to my parents and said, I think I need some help, 
and they said it's called puberty, get over it. And uh, that's that kind of family, you know what I mean? They had no place for that sort of thing. So I got over it. And, I, and, and what I'm really getting at here is, and when I came out of the other end of it, which was from four to five months later, I was a different human being. I was much more focused than I had been before. And, and uh, really um, ambitious, and I had a plan. And all of that came out of that end of things. And then I found myself in college two years later at 16, and I, it, there was a master plan going on, and I was aware of it. So I have to think there was luck in that. Then there's one more thing I want to say, and that is I got a job, luckily, because I wrote a letter. I, I didn't know how you interview for jobs. So instead, I wrote a letter to this man named George Abbott, who's a big, uh, uh, the, the biggest producer, director, writer in the Broadway theater. And in the letter, I said, look, I just got out of college, and I, don't, I can't for the life of me figure out what I would do, could do, that would earn a penny. So uh, give me a job. Let me work for nothing. And here's the hook. And if you can figure out after six months that you're, not, that you're not paying me by the nature of the work I'm doing, I beg you to fire me. Well, that's a pretty crazy letter. And he hired me at no salary. He'd never seen a letter like it before. And I've told this story since, and I now get the letter about twice a year from <laughs> somewhere or other. Uh, at early on in his office, and this is the other piece of luck, the Korean War started, and I was the first person drafted uh, from Manhattan into that war because I'd missed World War II. And that's the biggest piece of luck. And so you see how you have to redefine luck. That's luck because I was a very, as I said, ambitious fellow, and I think I dislocated the, the air around me. I think the energy made people extremely nervous. And, uh, and suddenly I got drafted, and I had to go away for two years to Fort Bliss, Texas, to Camp Atterbury, uh, Indiana. And basically, uh, I wasn't getting my own way, and my course had been stopped, and I wasn't a bit sure I'd get back on course. And when I came back, I was a different person again, yet again, because I knew it isn't all in your power. So I wanted, I just, I wanted to touch on, on, on the whole area of luck, and I wanted to tell you, in closing, how I personally dealt with the fact that I knew how abrasive my too much energy, too much focus, too much ambition was, that I had a desk pad, a, a, a diary on, on my desk in, in Abbott's office, and at the top of every page for about five years, I wrote the two words, watch it, and an exclamation point. And when I'd come in in the morning, I'd look at the pad, and it was my reminder to behave myself. There are other people around. Calm down. 
and, 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 and don't be abrasive. And uh, it worked. I'm here. And, uh, and I, thought, I thought, you know, you've got to, I, 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 what do I want to say uh, to all these people that maybe they haven't heard? And that is honor the whole idea of luck. Luck is a factor in your life. Only widen your definition of what luck is. And I just want to read you a little something which is separate and apart, but I'm obsessed with it. I gave the graduation speech at Gettysburg a couple of weeks ago, and this is just a small paragraph from it. Uh, it says, I've been around a long time, almost four score, without the seven added. I had my first paying job 60 years ago. At that time, I met composers, lyricists, and playwrights with whom I would work for the body of my life. And the atmosphere in our society was so generous, so welcoming, that I also met and grew to know most of the great established writers, composers, and directors in the theater. They seemed curious about what I wanted to do with my life. And they asked questions, and they listened to my replies. I've always believed that they were so forthcoming, not only because manners in those days were held in high regard, because there were so many of them working consistently and simultaneously. The arts were flourishing. There was no TV then, and little until the 50s. We wrote letters then, long letters, and instead of channel surfing, we read voraciously. We were ambitious to create. Making money was not the object, it was ancillary. As the years go on, we got older, some of us got married and had children, and making money acquired a new urgency. But it never was, it never has become paramount. For being an artist, accepted by artists, perhaps appreciated for some impact on the quality of our life in our country, beyond our country, on our globe, was the goal. And honestly, that's exactly how I feel. And I would give anything uh, for a, a more s substantial view of a return to those values. And I calculate that all of you people in this room are on the course that I would approve of, which makes me very happy to be here. So I'm ready to take any questions anyone wants to ask me. Now it looks like we have time for just a couple. There's, there's, okay. there's, Was I on too there's, there's, No, she didn't go there. Over here is one. Yes. Uh, thank you for coming. Mr. Prince, um, my name is Nihal Desai and I'm getting my MFA in directing at the Yale School of Drama. Uh, and I think I've sent you a letter or two over the years. Send it again. I might have it with me. Uh, I have two quick questions. One is, what has kept you in theater over the years instead of going into TV and film? And the other part of that is, what do you feel is the most integral or important part, uh, component in theatrical storytelling? 
Uh, well, I've stayed in the theater because I fell in love with the theater as a kid and because I like the black box, I like the empty space, I like the amount of imagination that working in theater requires of your audience who are observing the work and, and in fact, collaborating with you for the effects you want. Uh, there's nothing like that in, uh, in film, or very, very rarely, certainly not that exact experience. Plus, I've been encouraged. I've had a lot of failures, but we don't talk about those. <laughs> and, and I'm still here. So uh, it never occurred to me to go anywhere else. I tried two movies. I'm much too impatient. Uh, movie making obviously has a lot to do with cutting. And uh, that's real boring to me, instead of being the most stimulating part of the job which it is for so many directors. So I just not cut out for that. And, and television just came along and actually uh, took away a little of, of my party because so many of the wonderful writers who should be writing for the theater are writing for television. And, you know, uh, and television has taken away some of our audience. And another thing television has done is it's cut our attention span some, so that an interesting thing will happen, uh, a scene which will seem full on the stage uh, would seem too much too damn long on television. And, and I, I regret that. Uh, the other question. Uh, yeah, what do you feel is integral or uh, important component in theatrical storytelling on the stage? I think you make your own rules. Hey, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, I, I've, done, I've done a lot of things, but story t I, I respect clarity in the theater, but I equally respect what seems a contradiction, which is uh, abstraction. And, uh, uh, and a lot of the shows I've done have been nonlinear. Uh, quickly, uh, Company and, and Follies come to mind, and, and they, those are not about storytelling, those are about character examination and the complexity of interrelationships of people. So it isn't about storytelling. It's, I think this, and this is not answering your question, but it'll get me off the hook. Um, I think you need to paint a painting, a, a real painting, realistically, before you can abstract it and, and be an artist. I think you need to do the same thing as a director. You need to be able to tell a realistic story in realistic terms. And then you can start to abstract to your heart's content because you know your craft more and more and more and you know what you're doing and audiences have a way of knowing when you know what you're doing. That's great, thank you. One more question. Okay. Okay, over there. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Chris Brown, and I'm a Reynolds uh, Fellow in Social Entrepreneurship at NYU at the Wagner School of Public Service. So I'm going to pose a scenario to you, and I'd like for you to pay very close attention. <laughs> you are uh, going to be hiring somebody to work very closely with you. doesn't matter what their actual responsibilities are, but they're going to be working closely with you. You meet four people. One describes himself as a loner. The second person describes his or herself as lucky. The third person 
as a high achiever, and the fourth, an entrepreneur. My question for you is, who are you most likely to hire? I, 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 I think it goes back to what I was saying before. People who, who are insatiable to learn, and people in the theater particularly, uh, are, are not as interested, young people starting the theater, they're not as interested as they used to be in the history of the art form they're working in. They don't know the names of the playwrights and the directors who, who were there 50 years ago, 30 years ago. They don't saturate themselves. They're not, oddly enough, fans. It's a good thing to be a fan of the art form you want to work in and to be, yes, hungry to learn as much as you can. And the learning process is painless because you're obsessed. And I stand convicted. I'm obsessed. Thank you. Al Prince, thanks very much. Please.